A suave super spy with both daddy and mommy issues must use his skills with the cards to play his way out of death in a fancy French casino. His goal? Stay alive and gain victory for his queen. His game? Back a rap. His weakness? Fast cars and faster women. The agent? James Bond. The book? The graphic adaptation of Casino Royale by Van Jensen and Dennis Calero. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hey y'all, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how are you? Uh, I am. Um, my allergies are bothering me today. I don't know if you could tell by my um, voice. It usually gets a little. Yeah, you sound like you finally hit puberty. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of friends asked me today, how did um, Alexis get sick and she don't leave the house? I said, them allergies. Yes, you go? You can never escape allergies. No, they find me all the time, wherever I want to be. Good uh-huh. grief, like the IRS. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move it along. Now it's time for Society Says, where we share your comments, listeners, with the rest of our lit society. Alexis, is there a comment you'd like to share that was particularly lit this week? <laughs> yes. Guess where I went? You would never guess. So I'm going to tell you. Okay. Facebook. Okay. Oh, no, I, I never guess. go out to Facebook every once and again. <laughs> That's what I say. Y'all could go out there if y'all want to. Every once in a while, I visit. Anyway, <laughs> so um, one commenter, Uh, commented on 1984 and her name is Brianna Clark she said you ladies made me want to read this now exclamation mark so to me that comment is very exciting because we want to encourage reading and you know we're making it fun again we want to make it fun again yeah we want to so for her to say that I feel like it's a really big compliment so I thank you Brianna I appreciate we appreciate that very much we do it reminds me of people who listen to the show and even though they know that you know we spoiled the plot twist but they still want to read the book and they still go out and support the author so love that I do too. So Kari, is there um, a comment that you thought particularly litty? Yeah, this one comes from Instagram and Michaela listened to our uh, Things Fall Apart episode from season one. She's all the way in Germany and she says, just listen to this episode in preparation for a university course. You two are so much fun to listen to. Thanks a lot and best wishes. Danke, Michaela. Thank you for listening all the way in Germany. Remember, guys, if you want to have your comments shared on the show, message us on Instagram, Facebook, if you like. I guess we go there sometimes. Or <laughs> leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts along with a comment about why you love our show. And we may share your comment with our listeners. Thank you again to everyone who takes the time to do that. We appreciate you guys. Now it's time for our theme of the week, Alexis. Uh-oh. This week, the theme is... Oh, by the way, if you like never heard our show, the theme of the week is the section of the show where we discuss something, (laughs) a topic inspired by the book we're reading. It's one of them days. So this week, the topic is and just a little side note, if you don't know, whoever chose the book, they don't choose the theme of the week. So this week, Alexis chose the book. She's going to dive deep into the plot. And so I had to come up with a theme to discuss. And the theme I came up with. The real life men who inspired the character James Bond. Ooh, I like, I like. 
Alexis, so many people and their families, and I mean their whole families, then came out and said that their granddaddy and their great uncle were the inspiration for James Bond. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so there are a few out there, and truthfully, like with any author, they pro- Ian Fleming probably pulled from multiple real life characters to mm-hmm. inform his, you know, over the top James Bond. But we're going to discuss four people he no doubt, without a doubt, drew inspiration from. The first, James Bond. The real life James Bond was not a super spy. He wasn't even a government employee. James Bond was, can you guess? No, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. He was an ornithologist, you know, an American ornithologist. So he studied birds, y'all. He was really (laughs) into birds, which sounds like a beautiful career, by the way. Why didn't I go into ornithology? I know why I didn't. (laughs) Birds are gorgeous. Well, Ian Fleming, who had this uh, large estate in Jamaica, was also a bird um, watcher and enthusiast. And he had a book titled Birds of the West Indies. That was written by James Bond. And Fleming loved the name because it sounded very boring and Anglo-Saxon, a very generic American English or English name on which he could build all these over the top, fantastical uh, adventures around. So he didn't want the name to detract from the character. And so he picked it up from James Bond. And now there's a James Bond uh, movie with um, the skinny James Bond. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. So, (laughs) (laughs) I like the skinny one. The skinny one, that's funny. Okay, sure. In one of his movies, or his adaptations of James Bond, um, he is disguising himself as a bird watcher. He's actually reading a copy of Birds of the West Indies, and that's a throwback to to this James Bond. Yeah, the second is a man you all have likely heard of named Ian Fleming. So, yeah, Ian was probably a bit of a narcissist and decided he based a lot of this character on himself. Narcissist? Oh, come on. <laughs> like James Bond, uh, Fleming had a love for women, fast cars, gambling, and martinis made in a particular way. You know, shaken, not stirred. Very and- particular. Yeah, he was sometimes cold and reserved, all characteristics um, ascribed to Bond. So just as Fleming went to Eton, uh, which is a boarding school near Windsor for, I think, boys like 13 to 18 and left early, so did Bond. Just as Eaton grew up mostly fatherless because his uh, father died when he was still a young boy, so did Bond. And during the war, um, Ian Fleming achieved the rank of acting commander in the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve. And so did Bond. Now, Ian Fleming, yes, was a vet um, and also like a high ranking, as we said, acting commander. But he wasn't like in the trenches like Bond is. He was more at the desk and he um, created dossiers of different, um, you know, uh, spies. Uh, uh, He kept people abreast, people in top places abreast of what was going on during the war. And that was his position. So all of these spy stories are spilling into his psyche and he's writing up the facts, but also probably um, harvesting um, adventures for his characters from this real life, um, from these real life people, if that makes sense. Am I making sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Well, that brings us to inspiration number three. One of Britain's greatest spies of the Second World War was a secret agent who went by the code name White Rabbit. And I'm going to linger here for a while because 
white rabbit surrounding himself with beautiful women. Like men don't like beautiful women. I don't know why <laughs> folks keep bringing this up. Like you must be the real life James Bond. You like beautiful women. Come on. Let's aim a little higher. Is that all it takes? Yeah. You got to be a philanthropist. I mean, philanderer. Anyway, <laughs> but the real life white rabbit also had a series of life threatening adventures. Um, his rank and name. Wing Commander Forrest Tommy Yeo Thomas. What a name. We're going to call him Tommy. Okay, please shorten that one. So when World War II broke out, Tommy, a British subject, lived mostly in France, but joined the Royal Air Force. And after France fell to the Nazis, to German invaders, he transferred to air intelligence. And there he like worked on both sides of the line for Britain, for Great Britain. Um, and he was assigned to work with like uh, unifying the French resistance so that they could um, form enough, a, a large enough organization to fight for themselves um, during Nazi occupation. So the White Rabbit, a few key take- takeaways from him that will sound familiar if you're familiar with James Bond. The White Rabbit parachuted into German occupied France three times. Ooh. One of these times, and spoiler alert, he got away like every time. Um, if they caught him, he got away. Oh, okay. So real quick, in February 1943, the White Rabbit and two French resistors like parachuted into France and set up a central headquarters for French resistance. Mm. Um, after his return to England, the Gestapo sent a huge force of agents into Paris to break up this organization and the White Rabbit rushed back to France. So he was home safe. But when um, Nazi forces were breaking up this resistance organization he had helped form, he mm. went back into dangerous territory. Wow. And for two months, the Gestapo chased him. He then went back to England and persuaded Prime Minister Churchill that enough arms and equipment should be just dropped into France to help out the resistors. Um, And so in February 1944, um, Churchill was like, yeah, arms and equipment and you wanted the equipment. We're going to drop you in there again, too. (laughs) And they dropped him back on enemy on the enemy side. Um, Three weeks later, he was betrayed by somebody (gasps) and captured. For four days, he was beaten, whipped, and kicked. Questioning went on for two months. Twice, he attempted to escape. And for three weeks, he was confined to an underground jail, um, not seeing any sunlight. I mean, you know, three weeks is a long time to just be in darkness and to be tortured. Um, But he never gave up his um, comrades or, you know, I guess comrades is an appropriate term to use for World War II. His uh, fellow spies or, or whatever. And and um, uh, domestic intelligence. He never gave it up. Okay. So after four months in solitary confinement, four the months. white rabbit was sent to a concentration camp. Oh. And labeled a dangerous extremist. He was supposed to be exterminated. He quote unquote died <laughs> there. Sorry. No, it's okay. You got allergies. Um, we talking about this man risking his life and look at you. Can't even hold up to a little pollen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, quote unquote, died in the concentration camp October of 1944. But it was all a ruse. A German overseer helped him, quote unquote, die. He's only dead on paper. He's very much alive and still resisted. Wow. And in exchange, when that overseer was b- brought to trial for war crimes, um, the white rabbit spoke up in his defense. So it was like a pr- quid wow. pro quo kind of. 
Um, he tried then the white rabbit to save 20 other resistors who were in the camp, but he was only able to save two additional ones besides himself. Um, when the whole camp was moved, he bribed another Gestapo officer. And then um, I think he led a flight of like 20 prisoners across fields and nearby by woods um, trying to help 10 more escape. 10 were shot. I'm sorry, trying to help all 21 escape, but 10 were shot. Oh, wow. What a story. And it ain't over. So for the next eight days, right, they're like in the wilderness, he and the others. They're hungry. They're sick. They're just wandering around. Just as he was about to reach the advancing American forces, a German patrol picked him up. No! Alexis. And then he successfully escaped again. Yeah. Make escape sound easy. I'm gonna need the details. Exactly. I would like those also so I can <laughs> keep them in my escaping. folder. <laughs> he, can't, he can't stop escaping. A day later, the exhausted band of staggers um, of escapees uh, found themselves in the hands of an American outpost, of American soldiers at an American outpost. Good Don't day. shoot, they cried. We're escaping prisoners of war. An American soldier told Wright Rabbit and the resistors who had escaped with him, you guys are lucky you've just crossed a minefield. Ooh, what a story. And then there are other like escapades that the White Rabbit was involved in. Like um, one time he found himself on a train while he was still undercover and and the Nazis were looking for him. OK, but they didn't have cell phones. They couldn't just pull up his um, information on Instagram. So they didn't really know what he looked like. <laughs> so he on a train with a, a man, a Nazi um, that went by the title Butcher of Lion. Oh, so you can guess what kind of man this was. Oh, um, and. So the white rabbit finds himself on the train with this head Nazi, this notorious Nazi. And what does he do, Alexis? Can you guess? Escape? Yes. But before that, he (laughs) sat down across from him, pretended to be a French like local who who was um, for German allies. So Uh so this is an English man. Right. And although he like lived mostly in France. So he probably, he no doubt had the skills for this type of uh, character, but he invented a French character that was for German occupation, sat right across from the Nazi and carried on a conversation like, girl, how you doing? Let's eat some cheese and drink some wine. I would like to watch this movie. (laughs) For Oh, well, it's out. It's called James Bond. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> at the meal he's still like uncertain if they figured him out but nope he managed to get away safely when the train reached Paris he was like oh, wow. oh, <laughs> oh wow and the butcher of line was like you know danke and adios I don't know how to say goodbye in German so yeah and it's um it's a lot like that but that specific adventure uh, mirrors exactly what Bond did in one of um Ian Fleming stories. So that's why people are like, well, this man's incredible life obviously influenced some key details of James Bond. And that seems to be true, including one we read about in this graphic novel where uh, you may remember it's also in the movie. Um, James Bond sits in a a torture chair Uh uh where they remove the bottom and they Uh like pummel him. His bottoms. <laughs> his bottoms. Well, apparently the white rabbit went through that. His manly part. For real. Yeah. 
That's crazy. The most striking of all of his experiences with was this torture scene that um, James Bond seems to have directly lifted, that Ian Fleming seems to have directly lifted for um, James Bond. But why do we think uh, Ian Fleming had anything to do with um, that, that he knew the White Rabbit at all? Well, a historian and writer by the name of Sophie, Sophie Jackson found a memo from May 1945 in which Fleming briefly um, Described to colleagues the activities of the white rabbit, Tommy. So he had to know the details of what this agent was doing so that he could describe it to others. Okay. And it seems clear that, you know, he lifted the story, at least a lot of it. Um, the citation for the George Cross that uh, the white rabbit earned and the George Cross is like the highest award given to um, given by the Brit- British government for non operational gallantry. And of course, the White Rabbit earned this award. It said that he endured brutal treatment and torture without flinching and showing the most amazing fortitude and devotion to duty through his service abroad, during which he was under constant threat of Mm. death. Wow. Wow. Number four, the final inspiration, according to this podcast. There's like, for real, hundreds of people who was like, "Uh uh-uh, my great granddaddy once was on a plane. And so that's who he got James Bond from, my great granddaddy. So, but this seems to possibly be true also. So the fourth, an elite English spy working behind enemy lines during World War II. His name, James Charles Bond. Ian Fleming also is very familiar with the activities of James Charles Bond. And even though he says he picked the name from an, a study, uh, um, you know, a bird guy. A bird man. <laughs> I yeah. forget mm-hmm. the, what do you call him again? Ornithologist. <laughs> even though he says he got the name from the ornithologist, this seems like a little closer to the truth. There was an agent named James Charles Bond who went by um, James Bond. <laughs> and one day James Bond took his granddaughter aside and said, listen, baby, believe me when I tell you I'm the real James Bond. Oh, OK. OK. <laughs> Nothing more was said and no questions were asked, according to his family. When that Mr. Bond died, his family decided to put 007 on his tombstone. Oh, wow. I could not find anywhere where he was challenged, where they were challenged um, on doing that. And they thought, you know, this is our granddaddy is obviously James Bond. So they put, yeah, 007 on his tombstone. And that's it. Now, there are a lot of people who have wanted to be James Bond after the stories have been written. A few diehard fans include John F. Kennedy, who was a flanderer and drug addict. So that, too, is mirrored. I mean, amongst other things, I'm not trying to offend nobody, but he was those two things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, James Bond also battled with substance abuse and philanthropy. What is this? Philan- philanderism. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> and philanderer. Philanderism. <laughs> and then also no- North Korean Kim Jong-un. Oh. And I'm not going to say his name again because I don't want this podcast to be taken off the air. He's like really big into James Bond. Um, So, yeah, that's it for our theme. The real life James Bonds. Well, that was pretty darn cool. Pretty darn cool. And I'm going to note my sources for you guys in the show notes. So feel free to pick them up there. Did you have anything to add, Alexis? Nope. Nope. I don't. All right, my friend. Well, let's take a break. Okay. Okay. 
his inspiration for James Bond? So, uh, yeah, I was going to give author information about Van Jensen, but I knew I couldn't give um, oh. author inf- um, talk about James Bond without talking about Ian Fleming. So I gathered some information about him as well. And so, so let me make a correction then um, on something I said. This book that we're reading, there are some lines taken from Ian Fleming's original directly. Um, book mm-hmm. directly. However, this book is written for the most part by Dennis Calero with illustrations by Van Jensen, right? Right. right. No, okay. Van Jensen wrote it. Calero is the artist. Is the illustrator. Illustrator, yep. Okay, sorry. There we go. Okay. Please, madame, continue. Okay, so Ian Fleming, we got a lot of information about him. A bit of information about him from Kari, but he was a British writer, journalist, and naval intelligence officer. He came from a wealthy family. He had several jobs before he started writing. He participated in the Second World War. Um, His work time service and career as a journalist provided much of the background detail and depth of the James Bond novels. Uh, James Bond is an officer of the Secret Intelligence Service known as M16. Bond is also known by his code name 007. He was a commander in the Royal Navy um, Volunteer Reserve and Casino Royale is Ian Fleming's first novel and it was published in 1952 the bond stories rank among the best-selling series of fictional books of all time having sold over 100 million copies worldwide now let's talk about van jensen now van jensen is an author a copyright and editor he specializes in, in creative marketing and brand innovation he was born and raised in western nebraska farm country He's been writing and drawing since he could hold a pencil. He graduated from University of Nebraska-Lincoln with a journalism degree and started working for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas. Eventually, he would become the crime reporter for the paper. And this job included going to crime scenes. Sometimes he would get to the crime scene before the police. He'd also call the coroner to find out if anyone was murdered overnight. He wrote about murders, robberies, car crashes, fires, everything crime-related. Jensen broke into comic books in 2009. He would then go on to write some of the biggest characters in comics, including The Flash, Superman, and Wonder Woman. In 2018, he turned Ian Fleming's debut novel into a graphic novel with the help of Dennis Calero. Jensen is known for creating fiction that combines mind-bending genre concepts with deeply emotional, character-centered stories that have earned praise from fans and critics alike. His work can be thrilling, hilarious, or terrifying, but it's always heartfelt. In 2016, Jensen was named a comic book ambassador by the U.S. State Department. In that role, he traveled internationally to work with students and refugees, refugees, teaching them to share their stories through the medium of comics. In 2018, he created a comic book biography about Stacey Abrams. Jensen, what? Yeah, he did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he did. Jensen has worked as a writer and director in film. He had um, filmed several short films and music videos. Anything you'd like to add about our authors? 
Kari. Whose story is more compelling on the screen? Mission Impossible, Ethan Hunt, or James Bond in all his iterations? Uh, or like um, Born? Oh, but I like them all. Um, I'm going to say, um, I, you know, I've been a follower of James Bond for so long, I can't help but say him. Okay, I'm going to give my answer in the verdict, and I'll tell you why. Okay. So, Looking thank you for that. <laughs> no, you're not. Who cares what I think? Me too, girl. Uh, this is a whole podcast. <laughs> we get to say what we think, okay? Stop That's it. True. <laughs> well, thank you for that context. That was really surprising. Uh, I was surprised that went from Nebraska to Stacey uh, Abrams. So, <laughs> thank you for that. Now, can you please give us a brief, no spoiler synopsis of this version of James Bond? Bond. <laughs> James Bond. A chain-smoking secret agent must prevent Smirsh agent Le Chief from winning the $50 million in Baccarat. He needs to pay back money to the Smirsh organization. Kari, who do you think would love this book? Yeah, if you hate women and you love violence, I think you'd love this book. <laughs> and what about you, Alexis? Uh, what were your first thoughts when you came across this book at the library? <laughs> Well, you know, I've always enjoyed, maybe you don't know, but I'm going to tell you, I've always enjoyed the James Bond series. In fact, in 2020, I started watching them in order of I'm release. learning this about you. And this is making me look at your romantic choices with side eyes. <laughs> Everything is clear. Okay, so when I was looking for books for the new season, I said, you know what? Why not read Alien Fleming's work from the beginning? Get in there. So that's what I did. I chose this book. That was it. This is not Ian Fleming's work. Why did you go for this and not one of his books? Um, I did pick his book. I had that on the side. But then I was went to the library to pick up the book and I was perusing the shelves and I yeah. saw this and I was like, hey, I want to read this one. So and we've been looking for a comic book to like get into. So yeah. although this isn't a series, they like this is one and done. They did this and then they was like moving on to the next mm -hmm. whatever. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Well, now that we have all of that wonderful information, it's time for our deep dive. Spoiler filled deep dive Spoilers. into the plot of this version of James Bond, Casino Royale. Alexis, take it away. All right. So the story begins in a casino. Men and women are playing the tables. Yes, yes. And as they're there, James Bond is playing as well. Now, I don't remember what game he's playing, but I know he's playing because he likes to gamble. He's a gambler. Can you get into the uh, glamorosity of casino life? Does I cannot. I don't I know cannot. how to tell that. The glamour it's of it. It's three o'clock in the morning. Oh, you got to read this opening line. It is a great opening line. <laughs> and that is from Ian Fleming. Yeah, and that's I, definitely I think it's right out of here. But it don't, it don't sound cool. Like they try to make me feel like it is. <laughs> sound like all y'all need to be in bed. This is sad. Oh, let me say, let me get to it. Okay. <laughs> Although when I was younger, my parents used to love touring casinos. They have never gambled a day in their life. There's just a generation that thinks they're glamorous and they're full of endless seafood. Yeah. And like, I think gilded, that's it. The yeah, crown drinks And the, um, you know, the free seafood. Not the all you can eat seafood. Yeah, stuff. it ain't free, but it's like yeah. $10 for all the shrimp and lobster you want. Yeah. So, you know. Okay. Yeah. The scent and smoke and sweat of a casino are nauseating at three in the morning. I like that line. <laughs> I it's bet they cool. are. Can you imagine? 
No. Can you imagine? So, But that is indeed the scene. So he decides, look, I'm tired. You know, and I, I usually respond to my body when it's tired. So I'm going to go to the room. So he goes up to the room and he he left a trail, you know, because he he's in business. He's working. So he want to make sure his room hasn't been checked Tamper out. with. Yeah, he's, he's gambling mm-hmm. uh, partially for fun, but mostly because he's a spy and he's right. doing this on a mission. Yeah. yeah. So he gets back to his room and he checks all his little spots. He's got a little talcum powder on the door. He's got, um, oh, it was one other thing I can't remember. A hair, a single a hair, hair from his head. Um, and I was like, I'm going to use some of this for the next time I stay in a hotel. By yourself. So he's got, for real, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got talcum powder, like you said, on like the closet, basically doorknob. And then in a drawer, in the drawer where he's keeping some of his important documents, he's taken one single hair and placed it just so. If he if it's disturbed, he knows someone has opened that door. Drawer. That's a lot to remember. I would have took the hair and then forgot I did it. <laughs> Why, Why is this I hair here? They didn't, they didn't clean this room up right. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be my hair. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, he checks out the room and he's like, it's time to go to bed. But before he goes to bed, he's kind of thinking about what's happened over the last couple of weeks. He thinks back to two weeks ago when he was given this assignment. Um, so now agent, we're doing flashbacks. Yeah. So an agent from another station has this big uh, file and he wants M to see it. Now, M is the head of the British Defense Ministry and you need to present your cases to him if you want him to do some, you know, put his people on it. So this one guy, he presents his case to him. And this case is about Lashif. Lashif is an agent of the USSR, but his predilections um, are his Achilles heel, it says. And one of his mistresses is controlled by Station F. And that's within the British Defense Ministry. And she shares that Lashif seems to be on the brink of financial crises. Okay. Lashif is a heavy smoker, about 45, also uses um, Benzedrine inhaler and carries three ever sharp razor blades on his person. Like one oh, in I thought hat. he was addicted to cocaine. Well, Benzedrine is a drug that they use, but they've used it for so many purposes. It very well could be. Okay, okay. Uh, but it is an inhaler um, drug. Okay. So, this is, guess it's the dossier, right? That it's telling the story about him. Mm-hmm. So, here's the story. In 1946, Lashif um, brought control of a chain of brothels in Normandy and Brittany with some 50 million francs. Brittany? In, yeah. <laughs> entrusted to him by Leningrad Station. So, that is the organization. Um, oh, we didn't get to that. Uh, Schmirsch that he works for. They got like this spot that they want him to work and he's like the treasurer for it. So he's handling the finance. He's got access to all the money. So he takes this money, this 50 million and invests it into these brothels, right? But his, And I'm thinking he's trying to clean the money. Like he's trying to launder it. No, he just using it and investing it. And he made a bad <laughs> investment choice because... Because one, he's tempted by this woman and he saw this as an opportunity, right? Yeah. Maybe he is trying to clean it. That is possible. But then... Because it was legal at the time that he invested it. Yeah. So these organizations are legal. So three months after his purchase and uh, a pimping law was enacted. 
<laughs> and three months the, later <laughs> three months later they all prostitution outlawed mm-hmm. all his money down the drain down the drain and not his money Smirsh's money right because he took it out of the company account that's right and so they closed them all and the, the police was now on his trail they ended up closing about 20 or more of his establishments and so now his initial investment that 50 million is gone now Leningrad, this section that he works for, they're not suspicious, but it does seem like the head Smirsh. Now, Smirsh is the. No, um, Leningrad gave him the money. So Leningrad is like the. Overseers of all sub, A subgroup of Smirsh. Oh, so essentially okay. all Smirsh's money. And so Leningrad is a station and they, he's a treasurer of the money for that station. Got it. That's okay. what it sounds like to me. So who is Smirsh, you ask? Yes, it's a Russian organization, which is a combination of two words. And it's Smirt and Shivanan, which Hold means... Hold a show, Ochen, show. Death to spies. Now, Smirsh is headquartered in Leningrad, okay? That's what it is. And its task is to eliminate treachery at home and abroad. It's the most powerful and feared organization in the USSR. During the war, it was an execution squad. Now, it has 100 operatives, and they're divided into five sections. Counterintelligence, operations. Operations includes executions, administration, investigations, and prosecution. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> That's uh, goodbye in German. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that came to you. It's perfect timing. Yeah. (laughs) Only one Smirsh operative has fallen into the hands of British intelligence, and he ended up committing suicide with a coat button um, compressed of potassium cyanide during interrogation. It's believed that Smirsh is responsible for at least six British double agent deaths. Okay. Every effort has been made to improve. Um, the British intelligence uh, knowledge of this powerful organization and to destroy its operatives. So the chief doesn't realize, you know, because he has now taken his 50 million francs and he lost it. He don't realize that his life may be in, in stake. So he's withdrawn 25 million francs from this treasury. And so he's now living in a small billet villa near the casino the casino is casino royale right mm-hmm. all right so the chief says his plan is okay i'm gonna stay in this little villa near the casino and then i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna try to raise this 50 million francs by gambling of course that's the answer right terrible idea <laughs> you lose money with it. <laughs> get out there and gamble it till you get the money you want so M is like, okay, I see this as a challenge. I think we can do it. And I know just the man who can. It's 007. That is James Bond. And I'll connect him with Matthias, someone he's worked with previously. And so James like, okay, well, you know, I could, I could do this. But, you know, there's some, you know, some holes. I mean, I'm bound to lose some money. But, you know, I can I could do it. And Emma's is like, I already know you can do it. That's why I'm sending you on the job. I done thought <laughs> about all the holes in here. Just go on and do the job. 
So he tells them before he leaves the office, you know what? I'm going to send somebody else with you because two heads are better than one. And, and that'll be a good one. I'll send you someone good to be sure of it. All right. So um, flash forward to the next day when Bond wakes up from, um, you know, sleeping with the gun under his pillow and having checked the room. He wakes up the next morning and it's time to connect with Matthias. And he learns when Matthias arrives that his cover is blown. There are Who is Matthias? Mathis. Right? Is that what they call him in the book? Yeah, Mathis. Okay. That's his name. M-A-T-H-I-S. It is, but I think they call him, they say it differently in the book. How are they saying it in the book? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anything they say in the book is you saying it because it's a book. <laughs> Go ahead, call him Matthias, girl. Go ahead. Don't listen to me. It's Mathis, Wait, though. what you call him? Mathis. <laughs> His name is Mathis. Even in the movies, it's a Mathis. Okay. I struggle with that word the whole book. You must hate math like I do. I can't even pronounce it in a name. Okay. So the next day, okay, he connects with Mathis. Apparently, that's his name. But we'll go for it. I'm not going to fight about this, okay? Rene Mathis, yeah. <laughs> he learns his coverage, but Mathis tells him, look, your cover is blown. So Mathis is coming in undercover as well. He's coming in. He's got a radio or something. I, I don't get why he's bringing this radio in, but he's bringing you in don't. a radio. Mm-mm. Okay, I'm going to tell you. So um, he uh, James Bond opens the door and he's like, Mathis, Mathis, like, hey, shut up. Yeah. And so then Mathis puts on like a character and pretends to be some guy from like, I don't know, the radio place the uh, uh, utility and so he's like monsieur i have and mathis is french so monsieur i have the radio you requested everything seems to be up to notch and james is like okay and then mathis turns up the radio real loud because with the radio loud it blocks the transmission oh. of the bug go ahead right that part i get but is that the whole purpose for bringing the radio in yeah, it's just oh. to mess up that transmission so that when they turn it on, they can speak freely. Okay. And then they turn it off and pretend again that he's from the radio company or whatever. Okay, so I got that it was a ruse. Yeah. But I thought like he was like in the radio business and he sold him a radio. No, like, he's why? in the government business. He's a spy. Too. <laughs> I mean, but why did he bring the radio? So the whole yeah. purpose of the radio was to hide the communication. Mm-hmm. And I do understand that. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. But I, I thought it was more to it. <laughs> Not that I gather, maybe. But okay. I, I see it. So like Kari said, the people upstairs are listening. It's a, a couple, an older couple that have been induced to serve Smirsh. No, um, Le Chief. Okay. Yeah. So, and then Mathis tells him, your partner is a woman. She cute and everything, but it's a woman. And he's like, you know what? I don't even like women like that. They just get in the way and stuff. That's mm-hmm. what Bond said. He was like, mm-hmm. why? They not, they only good for my enjoyment after I solved the crime, you mm-hmm. know, after yes. I fixed yes. everything. This is an accurate depiction of the character James Bond. Mm-hmm. This is what he feels. The woman's name is Vesper Lynn, okay? And he expected to meet up with Mathis later where he would be introduced to Vesper. After they meet up, Bond decides, well, you know, she's seen 
cool she enough. Ha- she's cute, okay? <laughs> and just backing up a minute, I want to read this line that okay. is in Bond's head. <clears throat> He's talking about all the reasons why he hates women. And then he says, and then there was the past of the girl. Women were for recreation. That's what he has said. Not for business. They're for recreation. Mm-hmm. And then he calls her out of her, her name out of her in name. his head. And then he thinks about the couple upstairs who are secretly listening to him. And he calls the woman of that couple out of her name. Yes. And and his his rage for women borders on violent for no reason. For no reason. I was going to in my intro, I was going I was going to say with a lust and hatred for women. Lust and hatred. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's he. It's the profile of a potential assaulter. Yes, he does. That's James Bond. But actually, and we could get into this later, it's some of the movies. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so. If you sick of woke culture, you're going to hate this episode. Because <laughs> I was wide awake reading this. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so after they meet up later, um, but Bond decides he can work with her, like I said, um, and he makes plans to join them for dinner. He says, um, Mathis says, why don't you invite Vesper for dinner and that'll just look right because you can't be this, you know, hunk of a man and not have a woman on your arm. It just, it looks better that way. So mm-hmm. go ahead, let's get together. So Vesper, who's supposed to be working with Mathis in the radio business, okay? But she's also That's an undercover cover. agent. Yeah. Um. So Mathis and Vesper kind of walk away they go their separate way and bond goes another direction but he eyes two men in straw hats behind a tree and suddenly a bomb goes off when bond left the bar he walked purposefully along the pavement flanking the tree-lined boulevard he was hungry the day was still beautiful but by now the sun was very hot and the plain trees gave a cool shade there were few people abroad and the two men standing quietly on the opposite side of the boulevard looked out of place There was something rather disquieting about their appearance. Details. Straw hats, brims obscuring their faces. Dark, hot-looking suits. Body size, small, squat. Matching camera cases, possible weapons inside. By the time Bond had taken in these details, he had come to within 50 yards of the two men. When Red Man seemed to give a short nod to Blue Man. Just then, Blue Man seemed to fiddle with his case. Bond could not see exactly, blocked by the trunk of a plain tree. Then, despite the protection of the tree trunk, Bond was slammed down to the pavement by a bolt of hot air, which dented his cheeks and stomach as if they had been made of paper. He lay, gazing at the sun, while the air went on twanging with the explosion as if someone had hit the bass register of a piano with a sledgehammer. A ghastly rain fell on and around him, pieces of flesh and shreds of blood-soaked clothing mingled with branches and gravel, twigs and leaves. There was an obscene smell of high explosive, of burning wood, and yes, that was it, roast mutton. Of the two men in straw hats, there remained absolutely nothing but red traces on the road and on the pavements and against the trunks of the trees, and there were glittering shreds high up in the branches. It was Mathis who got to him first, and by that time, Bond was standing with his arm around the tree which had saved his life. Bond is protected by a tree, this big tree stump, so he survives, and it's clear that the bomb... The bomb was intended for bomb. 
<laughs> the bomb was for Bond. That's correct. The Bond survived. The straw hat men, not so much. Not so much. So the sheep wants him dead. Okay. So Bond stops. He he goes back to his hotel, kind of gets all cleaned up, um, you know, because it was a bomb. It exploded. And he it, just escaped death. Yeah. yeah. So he cleans up. And then he goes back to the um, the casino and he's kind of sitting around at the roulette table and watching it. And, and he likes gambling. He's enjoying it. He he said there's something. Um, he said there's. Is he saying no guesswork in it? It's um, I can't remember the thought he had. Basically, don't bring emotion into it. Yeah, it, there's no know, try to be as logical as possible in gambling. Yeah. So Bond um was the ideal candidate really for this assignment because he is um a gambler. He's always been a gambler, gambler, and he liked that you are all that's responsible for what's happening. You get to make these choices. It's not about luck. It's you making decisions that lead to your wins and you're responsible in the end. And he realizes that the more you put into gambling, the more you get out of it. So at the roulette table, he happens to meet the American CIA agent, Felix Leiter. So if we think back to the beginning, when he was reminiscing, initially um, when the case was brought to him, they said, if you don't want to do this, M, we could give it to the Americans. They'd be glad to get in there and um, make a fool of the chief. So they ended up bringing their CIA agent in anyway. They're going to help out because everybody wants to get this organization. Vesper meets Bond, goes to Bond's room for dinner, and they head downstairs. Bond then explains the rules of the game of the evening. He also... Vesper also takes this opportunity to kind of explain what happened with the um with the bomb situation. Um, so, yeah, explains what happened with the bomb situation. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. into it. Um, he eventually explains to her the rules of the game of the evening. This baccarat game that um him and Lashif and a, a a lot of other high profile players are going to join in. This is a high stakes game. The object is to hold two or three cards which together um, equal nine points or as nearly to nine as possible. If the cards add up to eight or nine, they're natural unless there is an equal or a better natural. So if there's a um, four and a five, that's a natural nine. If there is a queen, that doesn't even count. You can't even use that. You're looking for really natural nine, sevens or one, seven and two, five and four, those are winning cards. That's what you want to have. And um, and if you have a natural, I don't, if you have a natural nine, nothing else can beat it. So. So like a seven and a two is a natural nine. Yeah. So um, after dinner, now he had dinner with Vesper and he then um, walks away and heads over to the high table with Vesper because now over the past few days where he's been gambling, he's made money. He's like made like 3 million francs. So he's like in a good position to play in this high stakes game. There's no questions asked because they've seen his progress. They know he qualifies to play with the big boys, if you will. So when he gets into the high table room, the stage is kind of set. Everybody's there except for Lashif. 
and he kind of eyes all his potential players and, and sees who's going to be in it to win it, who's probably going to fall off at a, a few. And throughout the story, you can see he's um, sizing people up and he's always sizing up situations. And so Lighter comes and he takes Vesper away. They're going to go play on some other ga- tables until the game gets really popping. They'll come back later. And so the game doesn't even get started till like 11 o'clock at night. That's just how they do it. So Bond is glad to be alone again because he's ready for it. He's got to mentally prepare. So he goes and he gets um, this 24 million. All right. Um, early on in the book, it he was requesting, he had requested um, dollars from the British government so he could play. He was expecting it. And so now he's got like, 24 million in hand, and this is going to be his um, playing money. And this is like the same money that matches what Lashif has. All right. So let's talk about the game. Well, I can't really talk about the game, but you did. <laughs> so the game gets started. It's underway. It's, uh, you know, heavy, slow action. You know, it's, to me, it looks boring. I'm sure if it was there, it would be exciting, this high smoke-filled room. I mean, like, when the story started, James Bond had already smoked 70 cigarettes. So he's, like, a big-time smoker. The room is filled with must and smoke, okay? And drinks. Sweat and nervousness, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So by round three, James Bond is cleaned out. He's defeated. Yeah, he has no more money to he play with. He lost all the Great Britain's money that they gave him out of the treasury. the money. He lost all the money. So which means if he loses this money, they can't beat Lashid. So who's the whole mission is. Over. Yeah, it's like he's done. So at this yeah. point, Bond is like defeated. He like, dang, I lost. I can't believe that happened so fast. I'm out of all the money. I shouldn't have let it come to you. Directly, the cards were dealt. I kicked myself. It's only the beginning of the game. You may be right the next time you pass it. If one could be right every hand, none of us would be here. I would be. You don't think I'd do this for pleasure? As the game went on, uneventful, but with a slight bias against the bank, Bond looked over the spectators. He soon saw the chief's two gunmen. Neither the bank nor any of the players seemed to be able to get hot. But there was a steady and inexorable seepage against the bank, amounting after two hours' play to 10 million francs. Bond had no idea what profits the sheep had made over the past two days. He estimated them at five million and guessed that now the banker's capital could not be more than 20 million. In fact, the sheep had lost heavily all afternoon. He only had 10 million left. Bond had won four million, bringing his resources to 28 million. Bond was cautiously pleased. The sheep continued to play like an automaton, never speaking except when he gave instructions in a low aside to the coupier. In the background, there thudded always the hidden metronome of the casino, ticking up its little treasure of 1% with each spin of the wheel and each turn of a card. A pulsing fat cat with a zero for a heart. Then, the whole pattern of the play suddenly altered. The Greek lost the first coup of half a million francs, and the second. He passed the third time, leaving a bank of two million. Carmel Delane at number two refused it, so did Lady Danvers at number three. Mrs. Dupont promptly lost to the banker's natural eight. Un banco de quad mille. Five points marginal, refused third card, position dangerous. Four points, third card. Set a la banque. 
Mbanko Dehut Mi, Van lost again to a natural nine. In two coups, he had lost 12 million francs. By scraping the barrel, he had just 16 million francs left, exactly the amount of the next banco. Le Jou Effa, king and ace, one point. Prospect of victory, 13%. A card. Queen and five, five points. The table was absolutely silent. Ace and five, six points. Prospect of victory, 65%. It was a good card, but to Bond, it was a difficult fingerprint in dried blood. The banker must draw a one, two, three, or four. Drawing any other card, he would be defeated. It was, unnecessarily, the best, a four, giving the bank a count of nine. He had won, almost slowing up. Bond was beaten and cleaned out. So then... It's the coupier. Is that who it is? The banker? The coupier? Do- sure. Okay. So the coupier who walks over to him with an envelope? Yeah, walks over to him with an envelope. And he hands it to him. Brian is thinking like, oh, they're getting ready to pull me out the game. How <laughs> they know my finances. But they do. They know your finances. So, yeah. and actually he's handing him an envelope. And in the envelope is a note from the Americans. Like, we got your back. Here go $32 million. Get in there. Mm-hmm. Bond is saved. He could like play the next round, okay? And there's a potential to win everything back. Yes, he could get yeah. all the monies, all the monies, y'all. <laughs> and so, but this opportunity, this 32 million, this is his last chance. He's not going to get it again. You got me? So the game is on. And as the game reshifts, the stake is now $32 million, and the shift does not seem to be moving. Now, Bond didn't really know how well or how poorly the sheep had done. He had an idea of what he had, but he wasn't completely sure. But the sheep wasn't moving, which means he must have been doing pretty well. And he doesn't know, um, but the sheep also doesn't know what Bond has in this new envelope. But Yeah, and just for context, the um, banker has made an announcement to the floor that there's a $32 million bet on the table. And so there's people crowding around yes. it. And this is it. Like, this, everyone's sweating. The tension is high. Yes. And Lashif knows, he does know that Bond's resources are dwindling. So he honestly doesn't expect him to play, but he doesn't know what's in that envelope. And so as people start to gather around the table, the coupier says to Bond, you know what, is, is you in or not? Is you in? What you got? So Bond is like, I'm all in. <laughs> and as the coupier counts um, Bond's money, Bond catches an exchange between Lashif and his gunman, who is now standing directly behind Bond. But you can't bring a gun in a casino, Alexis. Yeah, you can't. So how did he get in there? Well, he had a cane, y'all. And he like had a, a note. Cripple, man. <laughs> he had mm-hmm. a, a note from the doctor saying he needed a cane. So, <laughs> so he brought a cane in and um, this cane had a gun and he put this gun into Bond's back. And he tells him, this is a gun and it can blow the base of your spine off without a sound. You'll just appear to have fainted and I'll be gone. So withdraw your bet before I count to 10. And so he mm. started counting. The gunman begins to count and gets to seven when Bond, he reclines in the chair. Yeah, he like pushes his chair back at an incline really quickly. 
And the man who actually is kind of crippled, <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> falls to the ground. But so does Bond. Yeah. So it's like an embarrassing scene for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Because everybody, Bond done failed. The man done failed. It's just a, a hot mess of a situation. And so Bond is helped up. He actually gets the, um, the cane gun out of yeah. his possession. And the man kind of goes away quietly. And the coupier and the chef de parte, they want to avoid scandal at all costs. So they check to see if Bond is okay. And he is. And he said, would you like to withdraw? And we can have a doctor fetch. And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm, it was a momentary faintness. And he kind of, you know, excuse me. It's okay. I'm fine. I am ready to play. <laughs> the back to the 32 million that's please. right the cards are drawn and bond is desperate to win because this is his only chance 32 million is all he has and 32 million is on the table there are no more miracles left the chief also is desperate bond has two suits and draws a nine of hearts now the nine of hearts is referred to as the uh-oh i forgot hold on as a whisper of love a whisper of hate yes Exactly. Whisper of love, whisper of hate. Because it's, um, it could go both ways, essentially. Mm -hmm. And Lashif has a four and a five. He thinks he's going to win. Bond already had um, the two suits, the, so the face cards. It's not going to happen. Lashif is... Um, confident he's going to win because he's got this natural remember that natural nine mm -hmm. the bank loses bond shows his card and lashif is disgusted because he lost yes so bond has these two queens which equals zero so his nine stands his nine stands and the spectators all look at lashif as if he carried the smell of death that's a lot to lose. 32 million francs. That don't really belong to you. That don't you belong need, to yeah. you. Woo. And as Bond looks down and looks up again, Lashif is gone. So it's like, what? Where did he go? Mm -hmm. He went somewhere, y'all. So Bond is like excited. He's like, yes, I win. He's like, we're Vesper. Time for recreation. <laughs> Hello? Mm -hmm. That's what he has said. Mm -hmm. He said he's invited to the casino director, right? First, because he got to get this check for 40 million um, francs, right? He needs mm -hmm. to get paid out. So he has a little cash and he got this 40 million franc check. So he's pleased with his success and he wants to celebrate. Vesper is up for celebrating, but mm -hmm. Lighter is ready for bed. He's like, you know what, you guys, let's do this in the morning. I'm going to bed. L Vesper is like, yeah, let's go to bed. Let's have a drink and go to bed. Mm -hmm. And so they go and they sit down. Well, first, Bond takes his money up and hides the check and the money and then in the hotel room and then he comes back down so he can have. Oh, so I'm sorry. Bond picked up the check from the casino. Yep. Goes back to his room alone. Right. Hides the check. Yep. He then meets Vesper for a drink right. and she's acting weird. Yes. When she comes back down, he's like, OK, all right, then lady but okay let's have this drink so they had this drink and then she receives a note from the waiter i'm gonna say it's from the waiter but it could have been from somebody else but it's hotel people brought her the note and vesper said oh it's only mathis he wants me to meet him at the entrance hall so she gets up to leave and bond is like wait a minute mathis don't talk like that mathis know me he would have wanted to talk to me too 
So Vesper is already gone and got up. So he heads out to the entrance hall and he doesn't see Vesper or Mathis. He then hears a scream and a car drive away. And as a car drives away, he sees a small black object thrown from the vehicle and he immediately identifies it as Vesper's purse. He opens it and he finds the note that Vesper received. And he said, it's an obvious forgery. He jumps into his vehicle and tries to follow the car. Now, he doesn't really know, but he's using his agent senses and um, knowledge and lights and figures out where the car is. Okay, and so he follows this assumed path at the same time, cursing Vesper for being a woman and being with him because what else happened with women? They always getting into trouble and need to be saved. And then he mad at him for sending her on a job. So he's chasing Vesper going, I don't care if she die or not. That's right. He like, you but know what? Chasing her. So if I catch up with this vehicle and we have a shootout and she gets shot, that's too bad. If, <laughs> if I don't catch up with the vehicle, I'm going to go back to the hotel and go to bed. OK, the girl just going to have to take it. That's just the way it is. That's what he has said, y'all. So he drives along and as he's driving along, he does see the car, but he also noticed a strip of steel spikes. And before you know it, he on top of him, the car is airborne and he done come crashing down. It's a couple men standing outside the car when it crashed. They grab him out the car and put him in another car. And he he think is he assume is Vesper next to him. And what it is, is she in the car with her dress over her head? They got her tied up like a chicken something. <laughs> they said her dress is over her head and tied up so you know so she's sitting in the car her legs you know bare but the thing over her head and she might be a little knocked out also alright so he called her a fool he's like ugh how she get caught up like that anyway they arrive at this other location right that's nearby cause Bond had already kind of cased the area when he first got there, so he knew it's not too many things nearby that he could be taken. And so it's actually like a little farm or something. And so as Bond is being walked to this new location, he attempts to get away. He kicks one of the gunmen in a sensitive spot, and but he's then quickly overtaken and then put into another room where somebody tells him to strip, take off your clothes, get naked, fella. Yes, Ooh, that's what he over there judging Vesper. They said, Mm-mm, "You gonna get actually naked? <laughs> you gonna get actually naked?" Turns out, it's Lashif, and Lashif said, "Well, before that happened, they said you could you could play around and resist all you want to, but we will break every one of your fingers. We don't care nothing about your health and how." serious or we don't know you we don't care about your life just keep that in mind please we don't care so (laughs) act up if you want to act up and before then he had asked for one of your grandmama chairs everybody grandma got one of these chairs with a mesh bottom (laughs) and mesh back and he had the mesh bottom cut out he cut out the mesh bottom y'all so now bond is naked and it's this chair right there he like sit there that's what you you sit right in that chair i don't care bond Sit down. Sit down in there. Oh, man. And do y'all know that she proceeded to torture this man in his oh, private parts? Alexa. <laughs> so it's not funny. But why but is he you had laughing? this like, because you, because you're so immature. <laughs> so he had this like m- metal thing on a rope 
And he'd swing it in between Bond's legs to um, beat him from the bottom up. <laughs> and so Bond is naked getting, you know, getting a factory demolished. Right. Right. With the little chuckle. Okay. I heard that. Anyway, that's happening. He is being brutalized and the pain is so and bad. And apparently this is what the white rabbit might have went through. Yikes. Yikes. The pain is so bad that Bond actually passes out. And that's like a relief because a few times, yeah, yeah, he passes out multiple times. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, I do remember this part from the movie. Yeah, he passed out in the movie too. I mean, it's, that's a that's pretty painful. Anyway, Lashiv tells me imagine when he comes to to is it like cramps? Because <laughs> nope, you know how men be. I guess it's probably worse. Maybe I'm gonna say no. Also, you're going to no. say it's not worse. I'm, I'm going to say also it's not worse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what what Bond is going through, we go through every month. Say it For again, days. Kyrie. Okay. For days. No relief. No relief. And he only suffered that for an hour. Exactly. Okay. Get over it, Bond. All right, then. Lashif tells Bond, look, we found the money you hid, but we want all the money. All of it. Including that 40 million franc check. We want all the money. Bond is like, well, how you going to cash the check made out to me? It ain't no good to you. And Lashie says, look, <laughs> I got a plan. We met after our little game in the casino and you were such a sportsman. You agreed we could have one more run at it. Unfortunately, you lost and you was a bit upset. So you decided you wanted to leave Royale immediately. You very kindly gave me a note explaining the circumstances so that I would have no difficulty cashing the check. Bond. Yeah, he's created this whole story that Bond won't be able to deny when Bond's dead. Can I read us a section about um, torturing men? Yes, insert that. So, so Lashif says to him, um, yeah, the way we're torturing you, this is the worst pain ever for you. Because with a man, it's quite unnecessary to indulge in refinements. Mm. With this simple instrument, we can cause you as much pain as possible or necessary. Mm. There is nothing worse. It is not only the immediate agony, but also the thought that your manhood is gradually destroyed. And that in the end, if you will not yield, you'll no longer be a man. Ooh. That was deep right there. So that's what they said to him. That's what they told him. So the sheep continues ah! <laughs> this <Okay>. torture <laughs> session. Again, Bond mm -hmm. passes out again. This time when he wakes up, the sheep says, are you ready to lose your manhood? Because I'm getting ready to cut it off. He comes toward him with scissors. But Bond hears knife. some slow steps behind the chair, behind his chair. And he's like, oh, somebody in here. Well, it turns out a Smirsh agent is in the room. And he comes in and he tells the chief, your two men, they dead. You're a fool, a thief and a traitor. And I've been sent from the Soviet Union to eliminate you. The gunman tells the chief he was supposed to die in the most painful way possible, but he out of time. So he's going to have to take this bullet. The gunman shot the chief and told Bond he didn't have orders to kill him. 
So he's saved his life twice. But he does mark up his hand, kind of like etches some words, some letters into his hand. And that also was very painful. And Bond passes out. The cut in his hand identifies him as a spy. A spy. The next time Bond woke up, he's in a nursing home at Royale, thinking he's still being tortured. So he wakes up like in a fright. And as he wakes up, and the doctor, the nurse is there, and then the doctor comes in, and they kind of tell him, you know what? You got all your manly parts. You you going to survive this. This is the chief concern. That's right. <laughs> you can still recreate. <laughs> and Bond's like, I don't believe you. I can't trust it. <laughs> he had his manly parts and his manly parts aren't going to be in good condition. He's going to be in pain for a while. But they're going to be all right. So the doctor said, I know you probably want to talk to Matthias. Now, the, the doctor works with um, the British government. So he's, he's in this organization, too, that's helping him. So Matthias comes in. He tells, uh, and Bond so tells. Mathis. Oh. <laughs> Mathis comes in and tells. It don't matter. Bond tells Mathis what happened. He said, I saw Lashiv shot dead. They didn't get me. Um, Matthias tells, um, Mathis tells. <laughs> find that Vesper's okay. She's good. He didn't ask. <laughs> he didn't, but, you know, he wanted to tell him. Um, the doctor only let Mathis chat with Bond for a few moments. Then he let it, He told him he had to go. Mathis came back a few days later. And Bond is like, he's been sitting and thinking for a while. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to resign because this, this ain't the life for me. He tells I Mathis, don't even know who's on the right side anymore. Yeah, he tells Mathis how he got this 007 designation, which um, that designation comes from a, a kill, at least. And he had two kills. So he tells him he can't tell the heroes from the villains anymore. And so, you know, I'm just out the game. I don't want to do this no more. Well, Mathis tells him when you get back to London, you will find there are other Lashifs seeking to destroy you, your friends and your country. And now... Um, and when you get back, you you going to want to protect those people. So that's that. So he's in the hospital a little while longer. Eventually, v- Vesper starts um, coming to see him, visit him every day with flowers. Oh, I think she was coming with flowers, but he was mm-hmm. turning the flowers away. And mm-hmm. so um, she was kind of feeling the shame and stuff. So eventually she came and she's chitty chatting and they having a highly good time and socializing and. He is a little ashamed, too, because, you know, his manly parts got beat up. All he can think about is, is he still intact? <laughs> That's all he thinks about as she's talking to him. Because uh-huh. women don't serve no purpose for him other than yeah. for the pleasure in part. Mm-hmm. So eventually he's released from the hospital, um, this nursing home. And um, Vesper is like, oh, OK, my assignment is to set you up and get you in this place so you can recover like fully recover, right? So they go over to Oh, but to talk this. about the money. This is one part where I was like impressed with Bond. Because he tells her how to get the money, I think. Oh, he told that to Mathis how to get the money. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so he told Mathis. Mathis was like, hey, yeah, you know, we looked all over that room and we couldn't find that money. He said, well, it's yeah. kind of in there. 
So what he did was he the room number, he pulled the room number off the door and folded the check up and put it in there and closed it back. Yeah, he said every room has its uh, room number in the corridor side. Mm -hmm. So the outside of the door. So the money's not in the room. It's on behind the number on the door. I thought that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So anyway. The only time he impressed me. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, now again, like Bond and Vesper are together. He's supposed to be recovering. She is assigned to help him recover. And then meantime, she feeling some type of way. She was like, he was a little off towards me before, but Bond is like, why she ain't accepting my advances and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And so she's, so eventually she gives way, but she's still feeling some type of way because she starts seeing things. She's like, hey, wait, I think that man is following me. Us, we being followed. And then she saw the man again. So she's feeling some type of way. She's not really trying to make moves on Bond or allow Bond to make moves on him. She sent him to bed a couple nights by himself or swimming Mm -hmm. in the ocean. Then come back into the room. And then the next morning, Vesper is found dead. And why? Because she was a dirty double agent. She left oh, a note. Wow. Wow. She was. A dirt- and, and because of that, Bond was like, I knew women were no good. No way. That's what he said. OK, so the love of her life is being held hostage by, I think, the USSR. Yes. So in order to free him, she has to play double agent for the USSR, which she does until she meets Bond and falls in love. Bond is like, I want to marry you. And she's like, me, you wanted to marry me? I'm going to take my life because <laughs> I know my the love of my life is probably dead by now because I ran away with you. And then I can't be honest with you about who I am. So I'd rather just not be at all. And so she, she, you know, and Bond was like, you wasn't no good woman anyhow. So yeah, I'm off to solve crimes without you. The end. Girl. That's what happened. Let's take a quick break. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That was the story in a nutshell. What's your final verdict? And would you recommend this book to others? My final verdict is that no one needs this in their life. And no, I would not recommend it. And maybe I won't watch the movies ever again either because um, this book hurt my spirit. (laughs) When I finished this book, I felt kind of sick. And I had to run like six miles after finishing just to shake this book out of my psyche. Uh, So going to the question, which is better, James Bond, Mission Impossible or Born Identity, I will say this book helped me realize that I associate the heroic nature of my leading man with how well they treat women. There's this weird morality in movies where if a man hits a woman, he deserves to die in the audience's eyes. Once a female character is loved, um, if a man even slaps her, that man if no context is given to him, deserves to die in the minds of the audience. 
And this isn't real life. This is just how it usually plays out in movies. We throw all of that aside for James Bond and these characters like him Mm -hmm. who are um, driven by their sexuality and their brassness. They have no patience, no genuine love for anyone else. And to make these characters heroes is just um, like a fallacy of the pop culture because it never works out like that in real life in real life a man who treats women like this specifically and who views like like this like just the narcissistic level of James Bond after he's tortured he's like I don't even know if God is good (laughs) because something bad happened to me my existential um downfall has led me to the path of not knowing if murderers are wrong if I'm wrong because I'm a murderer or if even the devil is wrong or God is good I don't know anything because this terrible thing happened to me that's narcissistic on a level that I cannot forgive and then from the beginning his attitude toward women just struck me as like a potential um violent offender against women (laughs) and I can never root for him and more than that because I don't need to root for the protagonist but I also I just felt icky being around him. I, w- I don't want to spend time with James Bond. I want to spend time with Jason Bourne. He's so intelligent. He can fall in love. He, even though he don't know who he was yesterday, he has the capacity to love someone, to be kind to others. And that's what makes him a hero in my mind. Even the fact that Tom Cruise, for a lot of people, is just a weirdo. But his Ethan wait, Hunt character. Wait, the character has, or the person. We're talking about characters No, Tom here. Cruise is like a weirdo. And a lot. He Tom Cruise makes me feel icky when I think about oh, him. Yeah. Darn. When I think about what I think I know of his real life. But I, put, I can push all that aside side for Ethan Hunt because Ethan Hunt is a man who's driven by more morality. His oh, morality his might morality. not fit mine. Mm. His principles don't fit mine, but at least that's a man that can be patient and loving to others. He can build friendships and he treats women with respect from what I remember. Yeah. Um, so those characters for me, their, their um, hero nature is tied to how they treat other people of those other people being women. So for this character just just be so oh, from the beginning, like I can't get with nothing James Bond is about. Mm. I don't care. And if you watch old Sean Connery movies, that's him. That's like, and then for Sean Connery to be like in real life with Barbara Walters, like sometimes you got to slap women around. You ever no! see that interview? It's easy to find. You can Google uh, Sean Connery and Barbara Walters. And he's like, sometimes you got to give him a little slap. They go to break and Barbara Walters comes back and is like, his wife isn't complaining. It's trash. All that is trash. I don't have any men in my life like this and I wouldn't keep none in my life like this. So I don't want to spend time with a fictional one. Mm. I would much rather be into these. um, I mean, when you talk about the white rabbit, I I would hear his story like Although, but I, this is I mean, his I guess story. he could be a terrible person too. This is his Maybe story. this is his story. Yeah, so what are you well, saying? Listen. <laughs> listen, the final verdict, I ain't like this book. I'm done with James Bond altogether. <laughs> and I would not recommend it. I didn't like this. I didn't like the way it made me feel. Um, Real quick, because now I'm talking about Ian Fleming's James Bond, but just about the illustrations. Mm-hmm. And the way it was rewritten, I don't feel like the um, dialogue that was added matches with Ian Fleming's level of writing. He has a way of putting a lot of information into short, concise, 
or concise, short um, statements. And that's a skill. Like the opening line puts you right in the scene of the casino. So Ian Fleming's level of writing was higher to me than um, what I've read in most of this novel. I even thought there were a couple typos, but for the most part, um, I thought it, it captured the spirit of that story from what I know about it. And the illustrations I thought were deeply moving the way, and it talks about this in the graphic novel too, but the way the illustrator brought light into certain pictures mm -hmm. or the way he played on shadows, mm -hmm. he is extremely talented. I want to see what else he has. Um, but this story specifically, I'm not into. Okay. That's my rant. What about you? Would you recommend this book? How did you feel about it? What's your final verdict? Okay, so in early 2020, I, I mentioned that I started watching the um, James Bond novels, I mean, movies, like, from the first, like, in order. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't know this about James Bond. I, I just don't yeah. like these movies, but I don't think he like women. I don't think he like women. So he that's hates what I was, women. He hates women. That's what I was seeing early on. And then as I'm reading this, um, this book, and I, and I also read, what's his name's book? Ian's book. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I mean, he, he don't like women. Mm -hmm. He like really don't like women. Which is fine. You ain't got to like women. It's the violent nature of this dislike that I He's a he-man woman hater. He's got a club. Yeah. He is. He doesn't like women. And I don't think it's okay to not like women. I, I don't think yeah. that's okay. okay. Because there's a lot come with that. If you don't like women, you mistreat women. Right? It's easy oh, to mistreat people you don't right. like. So that made me like, oh, dang. So the book is just like that. It's not like slightly different you know maybe the book is different no it's the same them early James Bond <laughs> and this book James Bond. it's the same it's the same now when I think about current episodes I can't remember them sure. so much but I don't feel like this Bond is like that but maybe he is and I just haven't watched it in recent enough time but I actually wouldn't recommend this book <laughs> Because he's a he-man woman hater. You know, I love when we agree. That he is truly a he-man woman hater. And Idris, don't worry about it. This ain't a character you got to play. Idris is not worried. I know you worried. feel like you've aged out. Go ahead. What? Idris is not worried. We talked about it. Idris is not worried, so okay, don't worry. you talk to mm -hmm. him. Good. Yeah. There are other characters. Write a new character. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Yeah. You, you, or or pick up a new um, screenplay that isn't James Bond. We don't need an Idris Elba James Bond. We don't need another James Bond. And I know it's going to be a woman next time. So is she going to have as much hatred for men as James has for women? I don't need that either. I don't mm. hate men. You're right. It ain't okay to it's not, not like women. It ain't okay to not like men. You cannot like children. <laughs> but Because you can keep your distance from them, right? <laughs> but in in the unless you work with children, unless you which, work with children, then you can't. Sorry not, for you, <laughs> not like children. That don't make sense. There, you need a new job for sure. But to not <laughs> like men, to not like women who you come across on the day to day, not a good idea, not a good look. And James Bond don't like women. He has a he win woman hater club for real. Yeah, I'm opposed. Too. So all right, well, that was exciting. <laughs> Thank you, Alexis, for opening my eyes to something I never uh, confronted. I guess I really, really dislike James yeah, Bond. Like you do a lot. <laughs> you might as well write an essay on that one, sis. So what are we reading next week? Ah, it's my favorite book.
break vacation <laughs> it's a break <laughs> but on our break we're gonna have a look back at warmth of other suns part two but we are on a break thank you you absolutely <laughs> yes you're absolutely right right we'll be on a break next week however we are uh, giving you another look at our warmth of other suns part two episode from season one um and we're gonna add a little spice to that recipe so there'll be some new things in there for you guys you're gonna enjoy it so lit society is brought to you by alexis Sonaria and kari herrera support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us we love you too and we love you women yes don't let people just push you around like you recreation. Mm-hmm. You either, man. Okay, here we go. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Also visit LitSocietyPodShop.com to shop our merchandise, including our handcrafted candles. And until next time, you guys, read something. Read something.